Yes, yes, yes. You're listening to Word Spoken Podcast, the poetry podcast which brings you the best. Thank you very much for tuning in. I'm your host, Henry. This is episode 14 of the show, and we've got the wonderful Jamal Hassan coming onto the show. Uh, before I jump into telling you a little bit about Jamal, there's a couple of things to mention. So in February, on the 20th of Feb, uh, in collaboration with Off The Chest, I'm going to be recording a live episode of Word Spoken. Um, so the event is at the Questers Theatre in Ealing. Um, and essentially, there's going to be an open mic along with some features. And those three features, um, I'm going to sit down with them and have have a little conversation. Um, and it's going to be recorded and as put out as part of the Word Spoken podcast. So yeah, definitely come to that if you're free. It's going to be a really great night. If you want to give Off The Chest a follow, it's Off The Underscore Chest. The second thing to mention is two days before that, Tuesday the 18th of February, um, in collaboration with a magazine called Shadow, um, I'm going to be hosting a night called Build Love, Break Walls. Um, It's a one-off night. The theme is LGBT. However, anyone is welcome, so please do come down to that. Um, And the reason why I mention that is one of the features is Jamal Hassan himself. Um, And the other feature is Tasmia. So yeah, it's going to be a really great night. Make sure you come down. You also get a free beer on entry. So what is not to like? Um, To give uh, Shadow a follow, head to shado.mag, shadow.mag. They're a really great magazine and it's going to be a really wonderful night. So yeah, if you're free, make sure you come down and, and join us. So let me tell you a little bit about Jamal, who's on the episode this week. Um, if you don't, if you don't already know him, um, Jamal is a really comedic poet. Um, he has the ability to come onto a stage and just with one look or glance make everyone absolutely fall about laughing. Um, so yeah, really grateful that he uh, came down to Word Spoken. Whilst he does have a lot of comedy in his work, um, he proves on this show that he can also tap into his more serious and I guess more dark side. Um, so it's really great to hear such versatility from um, from a poet and uh, yeah all three poems are very different from one another the first one is called 838 the second one is called The Orgy um, I'll, let, I'll let you make your mind up about what that's about um, and the third one is called Sleepwalker Sleepwalker is um, like a horror poem which personally I've never seen or heard before so yeah I'm really grateful that he chose to come and do that for us. Uh, That last one is up on IGTV and YouTube as well, so go and give that a look. Um, But the first poem we get to hear from Jamal today is 8.38. It is 8.38am on a Tuesday. A black woman drives her kids to school. She is a multitasking mother. Raised to remember the oral traditions of old, she doesn't need a list to organise and compartmentalise her life. Baby Mariam spits out her pacifier for the third time this morning. Mama leans to her left, picks it up, sucks and spits off the dirt and returns it to her wailing mouth, ready for the game to start again. Only this time, it doesn't. Flashing blue lights freeze her in her tracks. Of all the days to forget her license at home, it had to be this one. Her life flashes before her eyes, then headlines, chalk lines, children crying, spin doctors offering their diagnoses on why she deserved to die because she did not comply. 
The difference between a beat cop and a detective is a question of cognitive dissonance. They saw the child seat, the accumulated crumbs, an open and shut case on the matter of ownership. Only the three-pointed star of a Mercedes coupled with the colour of its owner made them think otherwise. Because you can drag your family from poverty working 50-hour weeks for 15 years and still find yourself handcuffed, apologizing for crimes you could never commit, begging to be let go because any longer and who knows what your kids could see, thanking the men who did this to you for letting you leave their sight alive. Ever since that morning... Mum has always tried to be the perfect image of stoic pride, laughing it off as one of the many random situations a person can get caught in. After all, how would you treat the day you thought your son would become an orphan? Jamal, thank you so much for performing that first piece for us on um, Word Spoken. That was a beautiful piece. Thank um, you. Yeah. Thank you for coming down as well. It's really, really best to have you here, man. Um, so my first question is uh, about that first piece that we just have, um, heard. Mm-hmm. So have you performed that to your mum? Not yet. She, know, she knows it exists. And... Uh, because I was halfway through writing it and finishing it off. And then I said to her, do you remember that, that thing that happened when like, we got stopped by police? And she was like, yeah, I did. That was crazy, right? And I kind of looked at her like, mom, it was terrifying. Like, I remember coming home. I remember going, like, because it was in the morning and it was on the school run. I remember like arriving in school and just bursting into tears when it happened like i remember it also vividly and she's just there like yeah that was crazy right wild and because she told me everything that happened beyond it like for instance um because the story behind it was that um we were driving down a residential road and no one gets priority on a residential road so it's so if you move to the side for another car it's because you're a polite person there was a police car <laughs> without sirens so legally speaking, my mom didn't have to move for them. And because she was running late, because admittedly, my eight year old self probably did make us late. Um, she just didn't really care and just sort of made them have to move for her, which, you know, it's, pre- it's pretty decent power play as far as I'm concerned. Amen, yeah. And um, so, yeah, they then followed us and eventually my mom stopped and then they tried to basically... Um, indict her on just a bunch of things because they were trying to be like oh yeah where's your license where's your license and my mom was like it's at home like because she's got like a week to actually submit it and then they were saying like oh where's your registration like where are all your documents for your car and she's like well clearly it's my car like look at the mess look at the mess my kids have made in this car like, why <laughs> it's covered I... in filth it exactly must be like no. who who steals a car and like but yeah, and then, and, and then mucks it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so within all of that, like all of that had happened, and then my mum had told me when we were talking about it that they had also literally tried to like send her to court, and um, I can't remember like what her crimes were because there wasn't really a crime because it turned out when she went to court, the judge just threw out the case because he was like, what "The fuck are you wasting my time for? Like this woman has done nothing. Like there's murderers out there. Like yeah." 
So, so you were eight years old and you were in the back of the car, were you? Yeah. So what was that like for you as an eight-year-old to see that? Because that's almost every kid's kind of nightmare, that kind of scenario, isn't it? When the police are there and you feel like you're out of control and you don't know what's going to happen mm. and it involves your mum. That's, that's yeah. kind of a nightmare thing. How, what, what was that like that for you? Uh, at first, it was just a lot of confusion because when I first saw them like pull us up, I didn't really know what my mum had done. And because I didn't know, you know, institutionalized racism at the age of eight, I just really didn't. It was more just a lot of confusion. And then um, what wound up happening over the course of them trying to, like, interrogate my mom just on the street was they get in her face and then she doesn't really back down. So she's just sort of not necessarily squaring up to them, but just sort of standing her ground. And then they immediately cuff her. And that's when I broke down. That was when I was like, oh, my God, please that was when it just turned from confusion to just complete fear. And the scariest part was that not only was that after not talking about it for so long, I forget about it. I forget that it happened. And then as I get older and realize how common this is, it it's a weird feeling of half, like it really sucks that this happens and I feel terrible that this happens. But at the same time, it's so commonplace that I'm almost numb to it. So it's just... It's a very mixed bag of shit. It is, yeah. How do you think your mum would react to it then if, if like, she heard it? Because I think this is common with a lot of poets, right? Um, lots of people write about very personal things in their life or maybe a kind of darker time in their mm. lives and often, often references people that, you know, that they love. Um, and it's almost easier to perform it to a room full of strangers. Yeah. But then if suddenly the person involved <laughs> hears it... So, yeah, I, so I guess, how do you feel she would react? Yeah. Well, my mum has a very, like, interesting way of reacting to my poetry because she's, like, she's always very proud of the things I do. And I don't, and a part of me feels like she might not be ready to hear something so deep and personal that it might actually cause her to just be like, oh, my God, oh, my feelings, Jamal, you got me in my feelings. <laughs> But at the same time, she is also very analytical and very pragmatic. So she will most likely, and what I see to happen, because I plan on telling her, because I'm actually going to show her this podcast once it's aired. Mm. And um, yeah, I plan on showing her the poem and she's probably going to go like, this is really nice. Like, this is really nice. Like, I'm glad that you remembered it. <laughs> and she she would more be appreciating the fact that it's a piece of art that I've taken, you know, something terrible that happened to us and actually made it something quite beautiful. Yeah. No, I mean, I really resonate with that. I, I, I think a lot of poets, I like think that's one of our greatest skills in a way is, is, is turning a negative into something that, that mm. is a positive that only, that not only we can learn from, but mm. so can everyone else that hears the piece, right? Exactly. It's, um, yeah, this essentially uh, the whole point of this beautiful <laughs> art form. So yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense. Um, so my next question is, um, I don't think I've asked anyone this question uh, since um, starting this podcast. So I thought I'd ask you, what was um, your first experience uh, in school of poetry in general? Like, what was your first impressions of the art form? Okay, so there was quite a f- there's. I can't just give one answer because there's like very different like key moments of poetry that I learned growing up. So the first one was in primary school and we didn't really see much poetry aside from nursery rhymes in primary school, obviously. But um, we had this one homework where we had to write a poem about snow. And then I basically made 
like eight-year-old me was just trying to make everything rhyme. So then there would be some bits which didn't really have anything to do with the snow. But then eventually I bring it back to the snow just so that all the rhyming fit. And then my teachers chewed my ass out because they were just there like, you can't just make this a rap. Now, aside from the fact that they probably said it was a rap because I was one of the very few black kids in the school. <laughs> yeah. But, um, but yeah, like I had, I like, it was at that point where I felt like poetry was a very rigid, very stoic, very willy, like very Wordsworth kind of, kind of affair. And then it continued up until like GCSE English where it really did change where I started to learn about like things like meaning in poetry. But even then, the way they taught poetry in schools is we need you to be able to answer questions about poetry rather than just appreciating it. And like that's difficult for me because on the one hand, I didn't like the film Dead Poet Society. We'll get into that like later. But at the same time, I at least expect my English teachers to at least give a shit. So, yeah. so a lot of my... Yeah, so a lot of my early introductions to poetry were very much, it was either, I just felt like it's boring. Like, I felt like it was very boring. And that's why when I first started writing poetry, I wanted it to be funny. And and that's why, like, I've written so many poems that are funny, because there's just been so much not shite, (laughs) not, I wouldn't, I wouldn't call it shite. It's just so much poetry that takes itself too seriously and um, i do credit like two poems studying gcse english that really hit me and it was vultures by chinua achebe Mm -hmm. and um what were they like and i can't remember the name of the poet who wrote what were they were what were they like but it was essentially a series of five different questions and five answers which you could read in any way you wanted and it was basically telling this imagined story that because of the war between the u.s and vietnam the u.s had essentially wiped out all of the vietnamese people and now people are asking what were they like what were the vietnamese people like Mm. and that was and i thought that that was a really cool like the form and the structure the fact that you could read it in different ways i really like that and with vultures it took a theme like duality and saying there's always a little bit of good in every bit of evil. There's always a bit of evil in every bit of good. And because of that, I was like, I re- and then it was just such a well-crafted piece that even though I didn't like poetry, I didn't even need to have a spend like a lesson analyzing it. I was just saying like, I get it. It, it makes sense. It's, yeah. It's there. Well, I think it's quite a common thing because most um, spoken word artists that I've met kind of get into it or get into performing and writing really after school. And, and, and I, I just think that is such a shame. What, you know, why can't spoken word um, be almost seen as like a subject, as like a, as like a part of English in a way? Because I feel like it, it, it would engage young people in, in a way which the page poetry does not, you know, having to answer long essay questions on what did this comma mean is is so such a loss of an opportunity. Mm-hmm. All these spoken word artists that I've met do started it as an adult. What a shame! Yeah. And like, <laughs> do you the, know what I mean? Yeah, because like the thing is, I've seen because like, I've I've worked in schools for the last two years, and I know exactly like why and where and lies the problem. Mm. And it's because, and it's such a shame because, like, especially now, hip hop is a form of poetry, and so many kids are into it but they don't realize that it counts as poetry. And therefore, yeah. even if, you know, some kid is, you know, rap spitting about ends, 
like it still counts as poetry and that should be recognized because if they can do that then teachers can use that as a springboard to be like this student has written this thing about like you know whatever yeah and let's actually like analyze what they've said and like how they've used language yeah and but the problem is like there's just not enough time there's not enough time in the school lesson and it's it's also you have to be good with poetry to be able to teach kids about it yeah 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 and like it's 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 a massively lost opportunity because i remember one of my my proudest moments was when i was just helping some special needs kids understand poetry during their gcse english lesson and then i literally just started quoting no name and i just started rapping no name to be like let me explain to you what alliteration is and then i just started rapping diddy bop and i was like can you see like how that flows and how that makes sense because she uses so much mm. in her songs to, in order to create rhyme and they were like oh yeah it's sort of like making a half rhyme within the line and i'm like by jove i think he's got it <laughs> so at what stage then did you start performing so i started performing when i was about 20 mm-hmm. yeah 20 because um i i had written a few since i was about 17 that was when i actually started writing funny little poems to myself and like one of them was a really like my first one is which is one I'm super proud of. And it was just using like syllables to actually create rhythm. And then it was just telling a breakup story. And you think, oh, this person's girlfriend has left him for someone. But then it turns out it's all a metaphor for Fifty Shades of Grey and how much I really don't like Fifty Shades of Grey. And like that was that was it. And I just sort of like went on from there and started like making lots of poems and just experimenting a lot until I was 20 because I was way too anxious to go to an open mic. But then Mm. when I was 20 during the summer holidays, I went to Poetry Unplugged at the Poetry Cafe. And then I was like, oh, wow, I'm actually having fun here. This is this is a lot of fun. But then I didn't bother checking out the trying any like performing spoken word while I was at uni because I just I, I was literally just too afraid to put myself out there. But then after graduation, when I came back, I said to myself, I'm actually going to like do the London scene and really like take this seriously. So how long ago was that when you came back to London? It was two years ago. Was it? Yeah, oh, okay, two, cool. two years ago and a few months. Like I, I remember like it was like two weeks before my 23rd birthday because I remember it was on a Wednesday. I went to Spoken Word London and I did a poem about how much I hated the Emoji movie. And literally, f- like, from that, like, moment, I then started going there every two weeks. And then I started finding other nights, and then I just kept going to them, and it just kept growing and growing and growing till to become what it is now. Yeah. Well, look, great. I mean, in those two years, it's safe to say you've managed to pack a lot in, right? You've, like, come a really long way. Um, so it's amazing to see your progress on that. Um, Thank Very you. much. Congrats on that. Um, I want to talk about your second piece. So uh, get ready, guys, for a bit of a, a genre switch up, I guess you could say. Um, so what is the what is the what is the preamble? What is the pre context uh, to your second piece? So the piece is called The Orgy. Yeah, it's a it's a love poem, plain and simple. <laughs> It is a love poem. It is a lo- it's a it's a poem dedicated to my first and truest love. Right. 
Great. So we're just going to go with that then, are we? Yep. Okay, I like that. Okay, so this... <laughs> I love that. Just so blunt and honest. Okay, mate. So look, this is Jamal with The Orgy. My girlfriend loves me in more than a thousand ways. So imagine my surprise when it came to my birthday and she told me there was another present up her sleeve. She led me to the bedroom for the gift I was to receive and opening the door, I saw a sight that I could scarcely believe. There were five Harley Quinn cosplayers, four Shia LaBeouf impersonators, three anonymous masturbators, just to add to the ambiance, two nude paramedics so we wouldn't need an ambulance, and all that remained was her and me. She had organised us an orgy, the good kind of clusterfuck. She even organised and cooked up a buffet table and I couldn't believe my luck. So I disrobed and licked my lips because I was in the mood, that is, for food. So I started on the deviled eggs and then onto the canapes, which upset some of the guests. But what can I say? There was a smorgasbord of food and it was free. I'll admit, I kissed a panini passionately, making them think I'd gone batshit crazy, but I don't understand why they felt so confused and flummoxed. After all, the best way to a man's heart is through his stomach. Was it because I romanced the pizza slice? Or because I went balls deep in a bowl of rice. For you see, I really do love food. With me, it's a slippery slope. All fun and games till someone fucks a cantaloupe. But I did try returning to the orgy after I ate. But what happened next was a fate that I wouldn't even wish on war criminals or Taylor Swift because the room was a desert and I was a fish. Empty, dry and barren with me all alone, save for a desecrated buffet table with all of its contents thoroughly boned. Do they leave because they felt ignored? Because food is as good, if not better, than sex? Was I unappreciative to their needs? Did my privilege go unchecked? Is it because we have differing ideas of fun? Or is it because I turned a jam donut into a glazed one? I simply cannot help it when there is food abound. My soul dances and my heart sings when it's around. But it's because of behavior like this why I cannot have nice things. My passion for food overrides my body from the hairs on my skin to my very, very core. Small wonder I don't get any invites to tea parties with cakes and scones anymore. I suppose, in the end, I should just learn some self-control. Otherwise, one day, my problem will swallow me whole. <laughs> what can I say? I don't know what you can say. I'm a, I'm a goddamn gourmet. <laughs> what I'm going to say is your versatility that you've shown in the first two poems is is absolutely crazy. <laughs> like, you have shown um, that you were able to write about, obviously in the first case, something that's very serious to you and a kind of real personal story. And then about an Uji. Um, an Uji. <laughs> an Uji. God, 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 you can tell that I haven't been been to many. <laughs> do, do you know what an Uji was? That's a mixture of food and orgy, I reckon. Oh my God, Uji. Maybe, maybe we should rename it. <laughs> um there are some killer lines in that. Thank you. And like, they are ridiculous. I, I mean, I had to write some of them down <laughs> when I was listening because they are absolutely ridiculous. Uh, the, the good kind of clusterfuck. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, well, okay, I want to hear about your uh, hatred of ta Taylor Swift because I'm with you. <laughs> but I will say you did put her on par with war criminals. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so I'm not going to lie. The main reason I used Taylor Swift was for the sake of rhyming because... Um, I don't, I wouldn't say I hate Taylor Swift, 
uh, because you know artists must be diplomatic. But um, <laughs> I have a I strong I'm, disliking. Yeah, I'm not a f- I'm not the biggest fan of her of her music, but it's more because of what her music represents, which is just you know commodified pop, and it's very. Eh. But that, but like the only reason why I chose her specifically and not someone else is literally just so that I could sort of make the rhyme work mm. because I'm not about to be here and be like, granted, I did put her on par with <laughs> I mean, in terms of it, insults, that's up there. I know. And like, it's <laughs> but, one of those things where like, when I wrote it, I was like, <laughs> this is funny. And when people listen to it, they were like, <laughs> this is funny. But like, it's one of those, it's one of those ones where I, like I write a joke and then I don't think about it. Simply because I'm doing it for the rhyme, and then I just completely forget about it. But it, like it le- like it is a pretty interesting conversation because I honestly don't I, like I don't think about Taylor Swift enough to know why I cared enough to write it. <laughs> it just kind of came out. Yeah, <laughs> I think it was like when like the Trouble song was being overplayed like a thousand oh, times, gosh. and I was like, okay, there there it is, there it is. Okay, and also like all the listeners who are fans of Taylor Swift, I love you all. Please don't hate me. <laughs> <laughs> the other question I have in reference to that piece is: What happens at an open mic night when you say the line, "I turned a jam donut into a glazed one"? It's honestly my favorite moment of any poetry night because one of two things are going to happen, and in fact, I'm going to tell you the story of my favorite time performing it. Okay, because there was. <laughs> so I was performing at one of my favorite nights called Penting, mm. and there and then when I said the the jam donut lie, everyone laughed and every because like usually what happens when I say that is because there's been all that preamble of me talking about literally fucking food, mm. um, like it's not it's not like it's a surprise. It's just like they didn't know I go <laughs> that far, and. Like, when I performed it at this one, like, there was just this raucous laughter. And then just out of that laughter, there was this one girl at the front who just went, nasty. And then there was just this <laughs> second wave of laughter because I then broke down laughing. And then everyone else, like... It, did, did, did she happen to be eating a glazed one? Oh, no. But, like, <laughs> my, favorite, a... my favorite thing is... <laughs> Sorry. My favorite thing is whenever people, like, try to make a... Um, like people think that I've never heard like donut based jokes after having to like perform that and I'm like I am I have had to like store a good few because <laughs> cuz it really like separates like the poetic wheat from the chaff like people who are there to like have a proper good time and then you can tell who's there to be like I'm here to be very stoic and talk about Wordsworth and nature and how like the butterflies look like my eyelids and all that shit and just uh, like hey man let's just let's just have fun and just talk about weird shit because like I don't know I just feel like because poetry has no um rules yeah that is that is why we can do stuff like this but yeah, like the reactions to that line, it's half oh and half ha ha, ha. <laughs> and it's always it's always it always gives me a warm feeling inside. <laughs> no, I really like that. The other thing I wanted to ask you is you have the ability, and I'm very jealous of this, um, to when you go up onto the mic at a night, you can uh have not said a word yet, 
but you do one little look or glance or an action and everyone's laughing. And I'll tell you when you did this. You did this at What You Saying in Croydon. You came on and you had a book with you and you just dropped it on the floor and looked at the audience. And it was hilarious. How? Where did you learn the kind of comedic skill set that you have? Um, mostly from other comedians. Uh, they inspired me, but that was more like with... Uh, what I say. It's really interesting you mentioned that because um, one of the most interesting things that I've found when being at Poetry Nights is that there's almost, there's a very like endearing level of, I don't know what I'm doing, da 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 da. And I often feel like that. And because of that, the one thing that will really get people's attention is if you do something weird, but you just really commit to it. Like, I'm meant to do that shit. And it can be really random. And when it is, like, people don't know how to react to it. It's like, oh, damn, he knows what he's doing. He meant to do that. But why did he do that? And then they're just like, what? So, but yeah, like, most of it is practice. Because, like, I sometimes practice my sets in front of the mirror. Oh, okay, and, yeah. Um, like, that is honestly the best advice I can give for anyone. Like, if you want to know how to really own your performances practice in front of the mirror so you know what you look like when you're doing it and i just yeah at that time when i threw it down i was just there like yeah let's 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 do this so you mentioned that that you you uh are inspired by some comedians so who were your favorite comedians um so i'd say from a very young age but not so much anymore chris rock because mm, yeah he when I was, whenever I would listen to his old stuff, he did have a lot of very insightful things to say. And they were often things that you see people talking about on Twitter nowadays, like they're the first ones to come up with it. Like, oh, wow, is it really that big a surprise that, you know, every, like, there's a huge, like, gang mentality when it comes to politics? He was saying that in 2006, and people are saying that now. And he would always present it in a very sardonic way which I really, really liked. And that wound up being the basis for a lot of my political pieces. Other comedians, um, Reggie Watts. Oh, yeah. Because he he is probably like my greatest inspiration for just doing random shit. But because, like I said, with you know the whole throwing the book down, he commits to it and he's like, yeah, I meant to do that. Even though it makes no sense, even though it's really disorienting, yeah, yeah, you're you're just there loving it because you're like, this is it's just it's just what Reggie does, and yeah, I really, yeah, I'm inspired by him more than more than most people. Like, I just just want to be him, <laughs> and also um, Donald Glover as well, simply for just his ability to really make clever. Like, he's just very clever with what he does. Like, he's weird. And he's clever, and I feel like that's another thing that I try a lot to emulate. Just also just trying to be self-aware and clever in everything I do. Because if you lose that self-awareness, no matter how funny you try to be, you will come across as a fucking douche. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, I think you're right there. Um, so tell us a little bit about the night that you run. Okay, so I run a night called Extra Second London. <clears throat> so we're on the last saturday of every month so um this year we are having our first event on the 29th which is the leap day oh, and, nice. and because we have a theme i always try to figure out like what's an appropriate theme 
And because the leap day comes only once every four years, I thought of individualism or individuality as the theme. And it's at the Gallery Cafe in Bethnal Green. So what we do is we have put, we have an open mic and then we have features and then we have a discussion on the theme. So usually people are like, oh, can I, like my poem has, doesn't really have a lot to do with the theme. And I'm like, I don't care. Like that's what the discussion is for. Go ahead, perform. <laughs> and <clears throat> I really love the, the venue it's in because it's run out of St. Margaret's House, which is a nonprofit and they are and they run as like part community center part special needs education adult education center and also they have a chapel which is where we do extra second and the acoustics of that chapel are so good we've only needed to use a microphone once for our music night wow because you you can still have a very like quiet and hushed voice and it will still carry to the end of the room and yeah, I, um, I've been running it for a year now with um, Julie Pye, who's my co-host. And, on, and uh, yeah, we just, we just run it together, have that open mic. The nice. discussion is the best part, though. Really? Is it? Well, that's what people tell me, because um, what happens often is that people end up sharing their personal stories, and you end up feeling so much closer to people, because like you said earlier, there's that thing of when you have something really heartfelt and it's easier to talk about it, to a bunch of strangers with a lot of poets it's often easy to talk about their feelings and their issues in a poem but this actually sits them down in a circle and says let's talk about this so um like for instance we had one night in october where the theme was fear and everyone was talking about their their fears and what happens and it wasn't as and it started becoming really it always ends up becoming really deep yeah. and you always end up feeling closer to the people that you've just met. Cause you're like, this is my truth. And you're like, wow, this is really amazing. That sounds really great. I haven't actually heard of a night that does that. Um, so I think that's really great that you're bringing something new to the scene. Mm-hmm. Um, and I guess every night does tend to have their own kind of, I guess, vibe, their own, their own genre of night. Mm-hmm. And that's, yeah, that sounds like a, I, I really need to come down to one, man. Oh, yeah, <laughs> I haven't um, come down yet, but yeah. I will. Um, it, yeah, it just sounds great. Mm-hmm. The best thing about it is that like, it also allows people who didn't perform to talk. And yeah. it also puts everyone on the same level. But, but yeah, like it, yeah, definitely come to it. It's on no, the I will. 29th of February. <laughs> <laughs> okay, cool. Where, where can people follow that night? Do you have an Instagram page for oh, yeah. that night? We have an Instagram page, which I just do not maintain very well. <laughs> um, it's, and a Facebook page as well, which is where all of our like, events are advertised. And it's just Extra Second London. So Extra Second London, and then you will find us Facebook, Instagram. And I'm trying to do more like when it comes to like creating content but i've always just been really shit with it yeah well i mean it sounds like you've got a very successful night even yeah. without it so yeah. congrats on that um so i would like you to tell me a little bit about your third and final piece that you're going to perform for us today so it's called sleepwalker yeah it's a ghost story i fucking love horror movies and I wanted to create something that was akin to a horror poem in which you'd be listening to it or reading it and then you'd think, okay, and then you'd realize what it's actually about and you'd be like, oh, oh, that's creepy. And then, like, that is kind of the effect I wanted because I've started, because, yeah, I just, I wanted to create something akin to the horror stories 
in the horror movies that I love so much. That like creeping feeling of this is a bad thing that's happened. And like out over the course of what's going on, like I'm realizing, oh shit, oh shit, oh shit. Yeah. (laughs) So you just basically wanted to freak people out with this one. Yes. Exactly. (laughs) Well, I like that. Look, well, thank you for performing it for us on Word Spoken. Um, Listeners, make sure you go and check this out on IGTV and also on YouTube where you can uh, see Jamal perform it um, and uh, yeah, really get that kind of like horror um, shock uh, vibe that he was giving off, not only with his words, but also with his performance. So yeah, go and check that out on I, on IGTV and on YouTube. Um, so yeah, I think we should just jump straight on into your third piece. So this is Jamal with Sleepwalker. All she sees is him, staring back at her from the foot of the stairs, pale as the day he left. She stands, swaying till sunrise, swallowing his eyes in hers, gorging on his gaze, growing full until she is found wet patches under her feet and calloused heels, knees like the eggshells she walks on in her sleep, bones of glass shattered so easily, just like his. Some suggest shaking, slapping, shouting, prying her eyes open, But other old wives worry that dreams and reality divided only by a thread would be too much to take if ever forced awake. For in her tunneled eyes, seeing only him who resides below, glowing like his nightlight in a patch that never came clean, no matter the muscles torn by her frenzied scrubbing, she wonders if that's why she's so tired all the time. Only she knows. Only she feels the sorrow, feels it morph, mutating into envy, for only he can sleep peacefully, so deeply that no one will ever bring him back to her, and no noise will ever bring him back to her. But she can be like him. She knows this, sleeping, absolved of his staring sin. All she needs is a little push. Wow, Jamal, thank you very much for that third and final piece. Um, that was, again, bringing us back to, the, <laughs> to your more, I guess, uh, darker side, I guess yeah. you, you could say. Um, what I'd like to know is we've kind of seen from the three poems that you've performed for us that you are very versatile, right, in your mm. writing. So when you sit down to write a piece or an idea comes to your head, do you know kind of whether you're in a mood for a really funny piece or a more serious piece how does that process kind of come about um usually whenever i try to make a piece um there's a part of me unless i say to myself no this has to be serious or if the subject matter is so serious that i'm like there will be no jokes had in this at all whatsoever there there is whenever I'm writing any poem, this little voice in my head because I'm so used to writing funny poems. And when it came to writing serious poems, which I started basically because I was going through a pretty serious bout of depression, 
Um, and then I just didn't have the energy to be funny anymore. But I always just kept telling myself, no, 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 I'm the funny poet. People shouldn't be hearing me talk about serious stuff. I'm here to make people laugh. But then eventually I realized that wasn't good for me. So I said, no, just allow the the sadness to flow. But at the same time, when I write most poems, there is a little voice in my head going, no, make it funny. Like, like, <laughs> put the joke in there. Put a little joke in there. And I do that for two reasons. One, because I enjoy doing it. Like I enjoy making funny things, especially in my poetry, because I'm good at it. And also <clears throat> because... I don't like it when I get too heavy. Like I feel like I have to have a limit of heaviness because if I get too heavy, I will start to feel sad. And then I'll be like, oh, shit, I made myself upset again. Like, what am I going to do now? So um, <clears throat> there is, yeah, there is um, a sort of not necessarily rigid process, but there is always a desire to make funny, like, to to make funny lines and it's mainly just learning to mess with um like just mess around messing around with either the subject matter or the words and wordplay and then i just see what i can do with it because it ends up being very freeing that way what i would then assume then is when you go when you go to a night you do you like suss the crowd and then kind of make up which make make your mind up which poem you want to do or do you kind of normally have a idea of which one you're going to do prior prior to going there a little of both um because when i go to some open mics um it's some it's often to test out something new uh but sometimes when i'm going there just for fun and then i can suss out the crowd like and the vibe i often do sometimes think this poem would be definitely funnier this poem is incredibly inappropriate for tonight definitely 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 don't do this one and it's always like learning what to do. But then sometimes when I don't actually know what poem I'm going to do, I either won't know until I get on stage or sometimes if I have absolutely no idea whatsoever, I just won't sign up at all. Because mm-hmm. I'm like, I actually, because that's happened recently because now I'm actually doing more features and I'm not feeling the need to like be on the open mic grind as mm-hmm. much. I can actually just relax at poetry nights and just say like, hey, I'm here to enjoy everything else like this doesn't feel like work anymore yeah nice okay cool so my final question is the question i always ask my guests when they come on um is what have you got planned for the year ahead we had a brief chat about this Mm -hmm. before recording um but yeah what what have you got planned for this year uh so i'm just going to be applying for everything so i'm going to try and get funding for extra second london because i want to start paying features um and uh, um, just in the future. I don't know if I'll get it because I have to like make a whole application and stuff. Um, I also want to start doing festivals. So uh, Boomtown, Shambhala, hopefully Glastonbury. Mm. And um, the golden ticket, that one. Oh God, yes. <laughs> it's like a 500 quid ticket. Otherwise oh, I was like, And no. it's a 50th anniversary this year. I know my friends, like my best friend uh, really wants to go. So uh, I told him that I'm going to try and get onto the poetry stage and he just... He's just there, like, please, just do it, do your best. Like, I need this. I'm like, yeah. fine, but yeah, like, I'm. But yeah, I want to do festivals, not just for the payment, but I'm not gonna lie, it's for the free ticket. It's, <laughs> it's for the free ticket, and um, I feel like it's the next logical step in just getting my stuff out there, and then also just doing a lot of music. 
because one thing people don't know is that I have played guitar since I was 13 and I have a loop station in my house so I can actually just create backing tracks to my poems which I've started to practice with since the end of last year and I've just been doing that more and more and hopefully at one of my uh, future feature shows I will be able to actually bring my whole rig with me and actually create a whole like thing and that's something I'm really, uh, and that's something I've been like working on, like a lot. That's a great idea. That mm. that's an amazing. I've never seen that before. I've never seen anyone do anything like that before. Yeah, because um, a few months ago, I saw when I was at Penting, I saw this one performer called Pop, called Carpet Face, mm-hmm. and he basically had this really, really elaborate and beautiful setup where it was like it was a. It was like a drum, there was a bit of drum pad, a bit of synth, a bit of this, bit of that. And he would just be beatboxing or like creating beats on the fly. And then not only that, but when we usually have a cypher at the end of Penting, he was just adding all of these crazy effects. And it wound up being one of the most insane experiences where like at the end, like I, I literally had like a pain in my face from just doing a stank face, like (laughs) constantly just like, God damn, that beat is funky <laughs> and and so yeah like after oh, I like the, that yeah after seeing that i really was inspired plus it's the next logical step to becoming reggie watts <laughs> is to actually be able to make music and, and perform with it well look um i cannot wait to see um what comes out of all of that that sounds like an incredible idea and yeah definitely something that you should pers- pursue and i can't wait to see you do that on the scene somewhere so yeah um yeah so we've got to wrap up here mate um thank you so much for coming on to the show i've really enjoyed this this chat um we've heard three very different poems this evening um and i've just really enjoyed them all man i've really enjoyed it thank you i'm i'm honestly like really glad that you have me here (laughs) thank you so much thank you very much so yeah i wish you all of the best with the music idea i think that's a great idea i wish you all of the best with getting on to the festivals um yeah you should definitely do that you can send you you can send me a photo from like the main stage or something and (laughs) make make me cry um and yeah and i wish you the best with extra second london as well so guys make sure you go and check that night out as well um remind everyone where they can follow you on instagram so on instagram i am kid anansi k-i-d-a-n-a-n-s-i that sounds like that um, <laughs> it isn't that is not a reference to that is it that's just the first thing that came to my head <laughs> that shit is bananas no um, now you got me doing it <laughs> <laughs> okay well on that on that bombshell of an ending that I've just done there um, I just want to say thank you very much and we will see everyone next week thanks mate toodaloo bye